Hello. Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. Today, we're going to talk about electric mobility and vehicle charging. The issues at stake are incredibly high, as many consumers may feel hesitant to plunge towards an electric car because of charging anxiety, and demand in electricity may put power grids under pressure. So my guests, Luca de Breukere and Jat Böker, have published a report at the end of 2022 on EV infrastructures and smart charging. Jab Böcher is a senior advisor to RAP's European team, and he works on smart charging of electric cars and regulation that maximize the possibilities for a decarbonized power market and infrastructure. He focuses on EV smart charging and charging infrastructure implementation with grid operators, e-mobility players, and governmental bodies. Luca de Breukere has worked on climate and energy policy for the European Commission, non-governmental organizations, consulting firms, and university. She serves as the program manager for ECOS, an international environmental NGO with a network of members and specialists that advocate for ecologically friendly technical standards and legislation. Luca is now working on the electrical grid and overseeing eco-design and energy labeling files, which includes photovoltaics. Luca and Yap are probably the best e-mobility and smart charging experts in Europe. Thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for, for inviting us. And uh, that, that's really too much of an honor. Indeed. Thank you so much to both of you. So, as we said, the topic is relatively new, but the stakes are incredibly high. So where does this interest on e-vehicle, electric mobility and charging comes from? Initially, from a rather young age, I've actually been focusing on, on the topic of climate change. I was 16 when, when the movie An Inconvenient Truth came out. People can now also calculate how old I am. Um, but in any case, it was to me quite of an awakening. I think if you would look back at the movie now, the context changed dramatically, luckily. But of course, there is still a long way ahead. So I've been, I've been focusing on, on issues like emission rights. How do you distribute those questions? And then in my professional life, yeah, I eventually ended up at ECOS, where we work on technical standards. It's rather niche, but it's very important. And particularly for electric mobility, technical standards will actually make sure that your car can communicate to uh, the charging station and also to the electric grid. So that's a bit, yeah, the angle from which I'm, I'm looking at the, at the issue. Yeah, YAP works on, on a bit of broader uh, elements of electromobility, so... Yeah, I might have sort of a slightly similar start to the topic. Maybe I was a bit younger when I was sort of very much interested in, in environmental topics, global warming. But then eventually after high school and, and during university, not sort of top of my list, but I had my first job working for the city of Amsterdam. And because I had done digital projects before, they approached me to do a new project because they were installing 
are trying to install public charging stations and they wanted to digitalize that process uh, so that, that any inhabitant could apply for a charging station. And I found it a very interesting topic from designing that application process. I became the project leader for the, the further rollout of, of the topic. And from that, I learned sort of many technical aspects of the electric vehicle, the interaction with the energy system, uh, with the grid, obviously, how you can combine it with renewable energy, what possibilities are within sort of a shared mobility system. So basically, I, I learned a lot about EVs sort of by, by doing, not by official training, uh, but it sort of combined nicely some, some of my personal interests of surrounding environmental topics, sort of a new digital way to interact with a thing because an electric vehicle is sort of a computer on wheels. And if you compare that to a to a car is still running on, on diesel or it's it, it sort of, it feels like a totally different age. Yeah. What I find totally fascinating with both of your jobs uh, is that you are actually working at on building the backbones of what the future of mobility will be. Because, yep, you're more on the regulatory side, whereas, Luca, you're more on the standard, so technical side. And I think it's really great to have this conversation with both sides. I mean, I guess that there is also the technical side with the engineering and such, and maybe that would be a topic for another conversation. But I think it's really interesting that you guys get together and kind of discuss how things need to be to really, really happen, because there are so many technical regulatory discussion. And currently in Europe, it's kind of complicated to understand what policymakers have in mind and what also car manufacturer and and city planners aim to go for. So let's start with the European regulation. Can you shed the light on how it's looking like now and how it could look like and what are the, let's say, the big trends? Well, if you look at the car and especially the electric car, it, it's sort of combining so many elements and so some different policy streams that, that previously were totally separate. So if you look at the European Commission and you have a work stream on electricity and, and energy and energy markets, you have a work stream focusing on mobility, you have a work stream focusing on the CO2 standards, emission standards for, for cars. You have a work stream on key infrastructure, whether that's roads, whether that's grids. And all of a sudden, almost, these topics need to be need to be combined and they need to be compatible. So if you look at the electric vehicle, there's obviously the, the CO2 regulation for, for cars that is now setting the target to have all new vehicle sales by 2035, zero emission. Uh, but to make it zero emission, obviously the fuel, or in this case, electricity that goes into these vehicles needs to be decarbonized as well. So that's a different policy file that is then becoming important. So that's more on the production side, but then between that production of electricity and the consumption in the vehicle, there's the infrastructure, our grids ready, transmission grids connecting European member states, for instance, but also really down to the local street level. Are those grids ready for that? Are they digitalized? So there's another 
stream focusing on digitalization of, of grids because we need smarter grids. Because if you can get information out of the actual state the local grid is being used and you can respond to that as a consumer or a device on behalf of you, and the electric vehicle is a per- perfect example, it can respond to, to these kinds of signals, that would be a great way to better utilize what's there and to cope with sort of the influx of, of new demand. So on a European level, many of those topics are, are coming together. So we have the CO2 regulation, which is now passed in the European Parliament and by, by the member states still being debated at is the alternative fuels infrastructure regulation, which is focusing on the EV charging infrastructure in the public domain. So curbside stations in cities, but also motorway surface stations where you could recharge your vehicle within within minutes. The Energy Performance and Buildings Directive, which is focusing on the built environment. So how can we make both new as well as existing homes fit for or basically fit for plugging in your vehicle. And all of these need some kind of smartness because the best way to integrate an electric vehicle is by making it smart, making it, and that means making it responsive to signals, which can be, if you look at a single family house, it can be a signal based on the current production of rooftop solar. If you live in an apartment building, this can be sort of the overall energy consumption within that building. So if the elevator is being used, it would be nice maybe if an EV would pause charging for a few seconds. If you look at at an on-street charging station, it would be great if if an EV parked there overnight and charging overnight with ample time would not charge during the the demand peak in the evening. But would, for instance, charge during during the nighttime when there when there's uh, abundant grid capacity available, or could maybe absorb renewable energy being generated on a school's rooftop, for instance, during the day. So I guess the the challenge is, and also the challenge on on a European level, is to make sure that all of these policies that are being developed, that some of these pieces of the puzzle are in place, others still need to find their place. And that they can really work well together. And I guess that that's an interesting bridge, maybe, to the topic of standards to have building blocks that, that work well together. Exactly, exactly. So, Luca, you are working on making sure the pieces of the puzzle are actually compatible, right? Exactly. Yeah. So many of the examples of all of them, all the examples that 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 Yap just mentioned of of how it should work all together, this this will be made possible through technical standards. Maybe I should make a little detour and tell you a little bit about what standards are and and what we're actually doing at Ecos. So technical standards, like an example of a standard, a very simple one is A4. You know that the paper is this big, it's all A4 paper has the same size, and that way it can be used in a printer that also knows the size of the paper. So that's a very yeah, logical, simple example. Another one that people maybe maybe uh, that will ring a bell is, is the common charger that is now actually law. So mobile phone producers, they will actually all have to create the same charging port and because of that, you then 
need less cables, less electronic waste. So those are, are that's that's also an example of, of how standards work for the environment. And that's what we focus on um, at ECOS. So you need standards to implement environmental legislation. Another example is to know whether your washing machine is actually as efficient as the label claims it is, you need a testing standard. And that is developed by European standardization organizations. There are also international standardization organizations. Um, ISO is maybe the most, um, the most well-known, <laughs> the international uh, standardization organization. Um, and it's in those fora that ECOS engages with the standardizers that actually write those standards. And we, you could say, we function as sometimes it's a watchdog function. Sometimes it is also holding the pen. It really depends uh, on, on the dynamics within those groups. And then, yeah, for electromobility, we focus on smart charging and the protocols, the software protocols you need for the car to communicate with the charging station. But also beyond that, the charging station maybe wants to know whether the energy price is high or low or whether there's a lot of renewable energy available, even without looking at the price, like all of those signals or inputs, if you like. Ideally, they all come together. All the actors in, in the ecosystem communicate with each other through protocols, and those need to be standardized because you want all the different businesses to use the same language. And that's basically what we focus on at ECOS. Okay, so thank you so much. It's very clear. and. It's like composing a symphony. You need all the instruments uh, playing the, the music. I mean, they may play a different note, but it all has to become very harmonious somehow. And uh, it matters for many at many levels of our lives. And it matters a lot as we are building this new mobility infrastructure and uh, we are actually reinventing the way uh, cars and vehicles are moving because we are not of course talking only about cars but also about two or three wheelers about trucks about electric scooters and things like that so first question what is actually smart charging why does it matter given this big infrastructure discussion and second question how can All those pieces actually work together. What would be, let's say, also your pieces of advice? What is smart charging? Yeah, that's post the question back to, to a group of people, because if you have 20 people in a room, you, you might end up with 20 different definitions of smart charging. But I would simply define smart charging as changing the direction and speed of charging from an electric car or this can also be a scooter or a bus or a truck based on various inputs so to optimize for the lowest costs for the user and the energy system and for climate change mitigation and that could include sort of charging when electricity is being produced from renewable sources on site but it can also be wholesale energy market prices charge when they are low It can be based on network pricing, so charging when, whenever the, the, the local grid isn't fully utilized. And why is it important? It, it's so important because we're changing our energy system from a world where we have supply following our demand to a world where demand 
should follow the actual supply because supply is coming from sources that aren't available 24-7. They might be available 24-7 in combination with a lot of technologies, but being able to shape your demand and shift charging to different times is really helpful by then utilizing lower cost energy, by better utilizing existing grid infrastructure. And by doing that, not only the actual user saves, but it's actually the the whole energy system is saving because it's it's reducing costs for all. So it's about demand driving supply, pun intended. Yes, indeed, you, you could put it that way because we want to electrify a lot, right? We want to electrify how we move around, but we also want to electrify how we how we heat our homes. So it means that demand for electricity will grow. And in, in a climate mitigation scenario, this is what we need. We obviously need to reduce our car use, put the thermostat lower. All of those elements are, are important as well. But to move away from fossil fuels, the, the use of electricity will will increase. And cars actually have a very important role to play there because it's they are batteries. They have wheels, but and you use them to, to, to go places, but they are batteries. So that's why they can they can support an electricity grid that we will need even more than, than we need it at the moment. A good example of, of that is, is bidirectional power flow. Another word is vehicle to grid. And it's in simple terms, it basically means that instead of only taking energy from the grid, your car is also able to give it back to power your, your fridge on a camping trip or during moments that, that you might need that at home. It could also give energy back to the grid. So it's basically this reversing of the power flow that is a very important element of, of what we call the integration of the electric vehicle into the electricity grid. And of course, here it's it's the standards that come in. Uh, it's the standards that will make it possible. At the moment, there are some cars that, that can do this already. But if we want this at, at a larger scale, then all car manufacturers have to implement a standard that has been published last year. There are now tests ongoing to see whether all the different cars can actually use that standard, that it, that it fully works and that it uh, also works well together with charging infrastructure. So that standard is coming. It's a big achievement of all people who, who have contributed to it because it's a big step in uh, integration of the car into the electricity grid. Wow, it's really fascinating. I don't think I've ever met somebody who had a car that could power the grid. So is it science fiction or is it something that is already existing in some places in Europe or elsewhere in the world? It's not science fiction because some cars can do it. You might not know as a consumer because it's not something that is very well known. And we also need to adapt our laws to make sure that, that we are allowed to do that. And yeah, that we are not suddenly charged twice for taking the energy and giving, giving it back. In some countries, that, that, that's a risk. So to have this scaled up, You need the standards and you need the products, so the cars and the chargers to implement it. But you also need a regulatory framework that allows that. Yes, I'm really curious now. That's definitely one of the, the major obstacles right now is that, especially that there's no harmonized European 
market access for these kinds of small-scale energy assets that can both consume energy as well as deliver energy to the grid. At small-scale bidirectional charging cars are out there. They are being charged. I've, I've seen it happening. It's actually quite boring because <laughs> nothing is happening and that's how it should be. But if you look at sort of as a consumer, it's it's really difficult to be able to feed energy back into the grid and receive the same remuneration for that as a professional market actor. So European legislation does set the conditions for member states to have energy legislation that allows consumers to have sort of basically to put it very simply, to have the same rights as energy producers. But many member states are really lagging behind in, in implementing that. So that's one. And Luca mentioned the topic of, of taxes. It's also the topic of, of network fees. Do you pay twice if you uh, consume energy first, store it in your car's battery, and then feed it back into the grid? What price do you receive for the energy? And some consumers are on a dynamic energy tariff already today, and which is interesting. So it's linked to the wholesale energy market, the same market where we're sort of the classical professional energy market actors are, are present. And you could reap benefits of charging during low cost periods and discharging during high price periods. And it's actually great if people would do that using the existing car they, they already own. It would be actually a sort of preferable solution compared to adding new fossil peak power plants, for instance, to deliver that same capability to deliver energy during during peak time. But for that, we need the right conditions. We need to empower consumers to participate in the same way as energy producers have been in the past. With the main difference, it's very much distributed. It's small scale individual users they need simple technology they need simple market access uh, they need services that make it work for them because they're not multinational corporations that can sort of develop custom-built solutions for every market they are active in so it's also a sort of a need for european harmonization so that that any product and any service can be used whether it's in belgium or in france or in in Sweden or in Spain, that it doesn't need to be sort of a, a custom development. Yeah, I guess you could learn also a lot from the net metering with the solar panels, for instance, or the overall discussion you may have on heat pumps and how it may feed back some of the energy to the grid. But it also poses the question of what kind of role would utility play in this overall total changing of the energy market, because it's not only about having more um, electricity coming from solar panels, but it's also about having those kind of mini batteries that make the grid less relevant at some time of the day. So it's really interesting how intricated those things uh, are, really, and how big the challenges and opportunities are. So what would be, I mean, the... Um, let's say, your biggest worry or let's say your biggest uh, out-of-the-box challenge, the thing that you think nobody is thinking enough at the moment and uh, needs to be addressed 
in really your opinion? One is, I think, a well-known one, which which is uh, we need to drive less. I mean, that's not a new thing. It's not only me thinking about it. If we talk about batteries, those they do not have to be batteries of individual passenger cars. It could also be public transport overnight when it's not used. There, there are a lot of possibilities there as well. So I think it's important to build a grid that can rely on those batteries on wheels, but it shouldn't mean, and now we all need to own a car because the grid needs it. That, that's, of course, not the narrative we want to bring. And secondly, well, it, it's the standards, of course, in the sense that the development of certain standards that we need uh, needs to accelerate. Because I've, I've been speaking about one that has been published uh, last year. There are others that are still in a drafting phase, and we really need capacity to write them. Ideally, also coming from Europe, because if those standards are drafted at the international level and European member states, companies are not present, well, it is other countries that hold the pen, which is not always a problem. Like standardization is also, there are great examples of great collaboration there. But if you want to have a bit of control of that, the outcome also serves the needs of, of Europe in the sense of, yeah, the, the laws that we are thinking about now, those that are being discussed in the parliament as we speak, then we need to be there and, and um, also shape the standards who then will come to, to the European level and uh, that we will need to, to make our grid greener yeah, just a follow-up question, because I read recently that the big players of electric mobility are actually not Europe, it's it maybe India with the three-wheelers, two-wheelers, etc. So are they also thinking about those standards, setting up their own standards? Are there any ongoing discussion with India, China, etc.? And not only the US and, you know, the, the same gang, but uh, those uh, economies that really depend on those new forms of mobility? So at the international level, all countries are members of, of, of those organizations or, or can be members. So in that sense, theoretically, yes. It doesn't mean that they are present because it, it also depends on, on capacity, on choices that countries make. Or yeah, what, and it, it depends on, on, on money and capacity. And then, of course, you see that, that certain players the US, China, Japan, Korea, country. I'm now talking about just the, the, the communication protocols, right? Where I, I know it best. You see that they made a choice to be there. But of course, this is not always a choice. There might be countries that, that have far bigger issues to tackle. So yeah, it, it is about capacity building as well, and about making sure that, that the access that those countries have is actually also used. Of course, it doesn't mean that you have to be around the table with 190 parties. The standards that are developed now can also be taken up elsewhere. So in, in, in that sense, indeed, the, the changes that we see in India with, with the electrification of, of three-wheelers, the communication standards can be used for that as well because it's a software. It's software. It, it, it doesn't really matter where you put that battery into. If I may add to that, so if you look at sort of things like time ferrying, energy tariffs, those are being developed in, in India as well. So you have different 
states that as part of a, a larger smart charging plan have introduced time varying rates for the charging of electric vehicles, three-wheelers, four-wheelers, two-wheelers. But also if you get at China, that, that's happening there as well. So there is some kind of synchronization around the world, basically, on what needs to be done to, to best integrate these new loads. And I have colleagues at working at Regulatory Assistance Project on topics in, in the I have colleagues in, in China and obviously in, in the US working on the same topics. And we do exchange on things like that. So on a very high level, just as what Luca was saying there, there is sort of somewhat global understanding of what needs to be done to, to best integrate those, uh, those loads. Yeah. So ECOS is also working more globally with partners such as India. At the moment, not on electromobility, but it is something that, that, we, that we see as very important, that this is not just a, a European story, that the standards that, that are developed can work globally and provide solutions globally. Yeah, and I guess the car manufacturer and the battery manufacturer are also global. So it's in their own interest that things work uh, quite uh, smoothly uh, between continents. And if uh, we take Africa, for instance, they receive a lot of uh, secondhand goods coming from uh, West Africa, receives a lot of secondhand goods coming from uh, from Europe, whereas East Africa receives a lot of secondhand goods coming from, from India and, and Indonesia as well. So things will naturally get, are naturally globalized and uh, the conversation must happen at a much bigger scale. So, yeah, you didn't share your biggest, uh, let's say, challenges or who are the elephant in the room and what is the elephant in the room for you? So I guess the, the, one of the biggest challenges is that on the one side, we need sort of this, this massive transition at a global scale or European scale. And it's being discussed by by policymakers, but on the other end, we need individual choices that make a difference. So we have people making the switch to electric vehicle, maybe a shared electric vehicle, even better so. But also, hopefully, them making the switch to a, a an energy tariff that that helps them do the smart charging. But it's of an individual choice, and the sum of all the individual choices is what will drive the transition forward. But that's quite difficult to to grasp, especially if you're sort of talking to policymakers it's, it, or industry. It's you know it, it it might be very far off that in the very end it's it's an individual choice whether or not you respond to a certain price or whether or not you participate in in a car sharing scheme. And it's bringing those two levels together. I I think it's 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 one of the major challenges. Yes, from what I understood, smart charging may also be about automation and not having to think about when you would like to charge your car or when it's more convenient for you, for the grid and for everyone. But in the meantime, you you might uh, plug your, char your car when it is available. And that's what I mentioned earlier as the charging anxiety that you may be worried not to be able to charge your car. So do you have anything to share about this? Because... You know, when I talk about electric vehicle around me, everybody's like, oh, yeah, but I don't know when and where I should charge it. Yeah. So what would you respond to that? Well, the, 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 that's part of sort of the individual 
process as well and an individual journey. So it might actually start with thinking, oh, where can I actually charge be- before buying an electric vehicle? And then you, you might have it. And, and, and at first you might feel anxious about where can I charge? And then you would charge at every occasion and, and, and every location where, where you find a charter. But then living with that vehicle, you might grow more confident that you will be able to charge and you will be more responsive to a, a service that can a- automate that for you. Also thinking that you, you might get like things like Lexmart assistants that would sort of help you and guide you and, and tell you now might be a good time to plug in because actually today is a day with a very high share of renewable energy. And we do forecast that next week will be a bit tense, so better to charge your battery fully today so you can drive all next week without charging, for instance, so that there could be an assistant. So I think they're, they're the interesting part and where we're still at the very beginning of, of the whole development is is where we get at sort of this intersection of technology, automation, and, and our human needs, sort of how to respond to what we want. It's important to know that we're talking about a lot of signals, right? Price signals and is there a lot of renewable energy or not? And But you as a user, as a driver, if you say I need to leave tomorrow at nine, that's a signal. So it's also taken into account in the charging plan. So it, the idea is not you can't drive because we need your battery for the grid. That, that That's not the point. But of course, the systems need to work together. And that's also why, again, we need standards for interoperability. You need different car brands, all car brands, to be able to work together with what is called an energy management system in your house, which can take into account whether your solar panels are producing a lot of energy or not. And and that's really key, that the systems that are developed at the moment, that they are interoperable and that means that they can all work together. And the reason why I'm stressing this is that we should not move to a world where we are locked into certain ecosystems as we have seen in the mobile phone market that you, where it is, let's say, it's very striking, but it's not life-changing in the sense that you can still have an Android and have an Apple uh, laptop and an Android phone. But cars, they cost a bit more than that. Your energy management system in your house, you won't change it every five or 10 years. So it is really important that you have interoperability across brands. Yeah, I'm just uh, thinking out loud now. I'm thinking about all those fancy places that have, uh, for instance, Tesla charger. And if I come with my uh, Renault Zoe, which is one of the cheapest electric vehicle, I couldn't charge there. And it doesn't sound so smart. Indeed. No, 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 not at all. And I've, I think it's, it's, it's really a shame that there is something out there, which is a proprietary solution and it's just a software setting that disallows vehicles from other brands to charge there so i guess that's one of the key elements also of the european legislation for publicly accessible charging it's it's really defining non-discrimination towards car drivers from a certain brand because why not utilize what's there and and actually what you're seeing with tesla opening up its supercharging network they are doing that. 
with these kind of destination chargers from Tesla that you can find at, at some hotels and restaurants. It's it's really a shame that that's even possible today. But I guess the, the next step, and as Luca was saying, we need to make sure that after we get basic charging to work, and then the next step, obviously, is to how to make it responsive to these signals, signals from the driver, like when do I, I need my vehicle again? Signals from the building, like what what's the other, uh, what are the energy flows within the building? And signals from, from the grid and from wholesale energy markets, for instance, and, and combine all that without making it complex, but just making it very simple. Yeah, and, and also make it uh, simple for local authorities, cities, uh, municipalities, etc., which is exactly the topic of your uh, report. I will put the link of the report in the show note. Luca, would you like to add something? We're reaching the end of this uh, really, really interesting conversation. Yeah, I think I, I would just add that people that are triggered by this conversation and would like to know more about smart charging, uh, the standards, it's all in our report. The focus is for public authorities because they actually have a lot of power in setting the rules and tenders on, on, on what, what standards need to be in the charging stations that will be built. But the report is definitely also interesting beyond that group. Uh, there's a lot of information in there. And, and of course, people can reach out to me or to Yap if they have other questions. Yes, I will put your contact details from LinkedIn and, and, and I think you're both active on Twitter as well. So I will put that in the show note. And uh, thank you so much. It's been very, very enlightening as a conversation. And uh, indeed, uh, let's uh, power our grids with the smarter cars. Let's be smart about that indeed. Thank you so much, Luca and Yap. Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.